Star jump sequence terminates, Captain. Get the gravitational dampers online and open the blast aye, shield. Aye, sir. Bring us in closer. Aye, aye, sir. Moving us in on sublight drive. Extreme magnification. Aye, sir. The center of the galaxy. And there's our black hole. The experience of a lifetime, Captain. Let me put this on audio. We should be able to hear the magnetic resonance field. This is it, ladies and gentlemen. The edge of time and space where the impossible can happen. Welcome to the event horizon. Good morning, or afternoon, or evening, whatever is relevant for the part of the world you are in. Indeed, welcome to the Event Horizon, where the impossible happens. Join us each week at this time as we journey into science fiction, fantasy, and science fact in all their forms. Ha! And I am your host, Gene Turnbow, and with me is my co-host, Susan Fox. Hello, hello! And our guest today is Aaron Vanek, who is the executive director at Seekers Unlimited with a very unusual project. And he's here to tell us all about it. Welcome to the show, Aaron. Thanks so much. Great to be here. I'm reading the uh, the show notes here. You've got something really unusual. Would you like to tell us what Seekers Unlimited is about? Sure. Uh, Seekers Unlimited is a nonprofit company that makes educational games. And that's not quite unusual because there's a lot of companies that are making educational games. But what we're doing is educational uh, live-action role-playing games or analog games or experiential learning or edu-LARPs, as I like to call them. Um, It's essentially not video games, games for learning. Wow. So it's... um... So what do they learn when they're doing these? Um, they learn whatever the the, uh, the st- teacher wants us to do. Typically, what we've done so far, the company's been around for about two years, and we've done uh, roughly 17 games in four different schools in the Los Angeles area, mostly middle school. And that's not by design. It's just more of what's been available to us, the schools that have, that have opened up to us, which are a large char- lot of charter schools. Um, that, that uh, we've been doing. So sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade uh, is what we're doing. And I guess the best way to describe it is give an example of one. The first one we did, uh, Star Seekers, the sixth graders pretended that they were on a spaceship. And to make the spaceship go, they had to do fractions. Um, and when they were at uh, the science station kind of analyzing planets and stuff, they were getting real science, spect- uh, you know, spectro- spectrographs, get my pronunciation right, spectrographs, um, you know, basic star maps, whatever the, the California science standards needed to meet, uh, we were doing that through game functions. So it's kind of just putting a story or a narrative over traditional learning, essentially, and having the kids uh, motivated to learn to play the game and win the game and do stuff instead of sitting there passively listening to a teacher and taking notes. They, they need to get things done that involves whatever they're learning to, you know, make the story go, essentially. That's, uh, it's a brief introduction to real life, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, Working together as a that's, team. That's, 
you know, what, what, you know, we're kind of hoping to do, um, is actually really interesting. Some of the, some of the rules, uh, roles that they'll take on, cause we'll do different content for any class, science, math, uh-huh. English language. And we often like to, uh, if possible, combine stuff. In other words, traditional learning is kind of unusual now that I, you know, kind of think out of the box. Traditional learning of you have a science class and you learn science and then you have a math class and you learn math. Sometimes that's a different teacher is kind of unusual. So when we're doing science, for example, I had to coordinate with a math teacher to make sure that the math and the science would work together. It's, it's much more natural, I think, to create a game or a story that involves multiple topics. So, for example... Um, the spaceship one had both science and math, um, with creative writing, you know, with some language, you know, writing materials and stuff like that, reading stuff like that. It's just so much easier than have to only look at one, one, uh, subject. So the idea is that we're bringing everything together, um, which is more like life and getting the kids to work together. This is both cooperative and competitive. A lot of times the kids are in groups and you'll work together in your group, but you can be competing against other groups or sometimes the whole class is working together on something. Uh, So it increases peer-to-peer learning. The idea, one of the ideas that we like is the idea of not having one teacher uh, instructor being a bottleneck to learning. I like having all the kids talk to each other about learning and information. And so they'll help each other rather than just waiting for the teacher to kind of give them the knowledge. If one kid knows it, say who's advanced, they could be in the class, they could theoretically help those that aren't so advanced to get things done. So it does a lot of things that I think is, could be hugely helpful to education. So where does the starship go during the, uh, uh, during it's, it's a, uh, uh, once a week for six weeks, Two hours, two hours per class, once a week for six weeks. Where does your, where does the starship go in the story? Uh, that's you know kind of the content. Um, a lot of times we'll go you know uh, each day of class for a week or two weeks or six weeks and stuff like that. And in this instance, um, they travel to um, the outer reaches of our solar system to the Oort cloud. Uh, I think they were doing some some research with uh, asteroids and uh, you know where comets come from and stuff like that. They were uh, at the moon of Jupiter, I, uh, Io, Jupiter's moon, Io. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's there's tons of places that they can go. And for example, at Jupiter's moon of Io, they're learning about the uh, volcanoes. So they're getting their uh, geology and earth sciences on uh, Jupiter's moon of Io. Oh, that's exciting. That's this sounds like such fun stuff. It must ignite their imaginations, so to speak. It, so to speak. Well, yeah. Well, it's um, amazing when when the, the kids are just like universally, all you know, a hundred percent love this. It's it's kind of frightening sometimes how uh, how they really really get into it and they start doing more work than what's assigned to them. They start asking for more work. Wow. Well, so who you, wouldn't rather play? you know, play spaceship than like sit in class. Yeah. Yeah. And, (laughs) and there's a bunch of different ones, you know, that we do. We set up one, uh, for eighth graders that was, um, 
to use, uh, uh, it had astronomy standards, density, mass, and volume. And so I had them kind of set up their own star system. And I gave them uh, big plastic bags, trash bags, filled it with, and had them fill it with a shredded newspaper and or air. And so, you know, you have a bag with shredded paper and you can make that really tight and dense. So, mm-hmm. you know, you kind of wrap the bag up or you can have a lot of air in there with a little bit of paper. And so it was kind of examples, hands-on examples of density, essentially. You know, there's a lot of air and they'd weigh it and stuff like that. Later on in the class, they, uh, they had the uh, chance to set up their own star systems and they had to use a very simplified version of uh, Newton's theory of gravity to determine how far away they had to be. So the biggest trash bag would be a star and the other ones would be planets and moons and they'd have to kind of measure distance to find out where you had to orbit without getting sucked into the star or flung out to space and then later they could uh they could attack the other star systems the other groups by by uh flinging asteroids at them and they could uh (laughs) determine they could they but they had they only had to um solve a mass density volume equation to get the ability to do it. So you had to compute like the density or mass or volume of an actual asteroid to get the ability to throw an asteroid. And in one instance, the boys threw the, threw an asteroid at the girls and they all, you know, screamed and then they got really mad, obviously. And then we're demanding <laughs> mass problems from me. They're saying, cause they wanted to attack the boys again. And the boys were like, they had a defense. And they're like, no, 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 give me more math. I want to throw another one at them. So I'm <laughs> trying to give these eighth grade girls math problems. They're gaming the system. Demanding it. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, you can't see me right now, but I have the biggest smile on my face. Yeah. So that's how you get eighth grade girls to do math is, is have them say, oh, yeah, if you do this problem, you could throw an asteroid at the boys. And, oh, yes, they'll do that. Oh, that's I know awesome. I would have. Yes. So in the one of the other LARPs is um, ancient Mesopotamia. Yeah, that's one that uh, we worked with a company, another company here in Los Angeles called Game Desk. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's here in Los Angeles, and they've done a lot of uh, games, a lot of computer games. But they they contracted with us to do a live action role playing game. So for a week in a sixth grade class, we ran an ancient Mesopotamia simulation mm-hmm. game, whatever you want to call it. And it was great because every class was was this game for the week. So if it wasn't PE, lunch, or recess, or their language class, they were doing something with us. Um, wow. And the, uh, the uh, students uh, were broken into groups. So they were governors, uh, merchants, priests, and uh, astrologers of ancient uh, Mesopotamia and Babylon. Mm-hmm. And we tied in their math. Uh, with uh, their um, base 60, the ancient Mesopotamians used a base 60 counting system. And that's where like our 60 minutes to an hour and 60 seconds to a minute, it all comes from, from that, that time period. that where that comes from? I didn't see, I've learned something today. Yes, it came from ancient, I, I had to look that up <laughs> when we were doing it. But so, uh, so that's what they were learning. Um, they were getting, um, they, uh, uh, groups each kind of had to do a presentation so the, the priest had to present the Epic of Gilgamesh. And uh, it was really cool to the other students um, that they were doing like a call and response system. And these are sixth graders. And, and they're playing like they had Tabla at the school. It's a charter school in Santa Monica. And they had, you know, the drums and they're beating the drums. And this kid is reciting the Epic of Gilgamesh. And I'm getting chills watching it because here's this ancient oral tradition, you know, one of the first stories and these, you know, sixth graders are, are reciting it. They're, they're doing it again. And it just 
it was so cool to kind of think, you know, they're doing this story over and over again, just like it's been told before. It's so, a living tradition after 4,000 years. Yeah, yeah. We did a, a trial simulation and uh, to use um, using the uh, Code of Hammurabi, the first kind of written code of laws, mm-hmm. was the basis for laws. So they were engaged in so many different elements for the week uh, of the Mesopotamian culture and learning math and science and history and culture and language. You know, they had presentations they had to do, um, oral presentation, or some could do a uh, written presentation. And they had goals, not only presentations, but there was kind of a, a middle period where they would just meet and kind of discuss and they can trade goods and they could do better for their group or their city because a lot of them were uh, they were all part of a city state so you can like better your city state and you had goals and they could trade and there was a map of the of the uh, area where invading armies were coming in so you had to stop the armies and you had tasks to do but you kind of just hang out then and it was it was really amazing uh just to watch and see what came out of it i mean we were getting some of the big things that came out of this was um uh, emergent gameplay, which is when in in a market simulation where we had the kids kind of run a market at the bazaar, one of the kids stole one of the resources, which was like a little card. You know, it was like grain. He stole some a little grain card and was caught. And and they're like, "What do we do? This kid was cheating." And I said, "Well, you're running Cut his the hands trial. Off. <laughs> you're running the trial tomorrow. <laughs> uh, uh, put him on trial." So they put this kid on trial. You know, the next day, it was oh my really gosh. amazing to, to, you know, because basically what happened, emergent gameplay is essentially when, you know, more game develops than you predicted. It comes out mm-hmm. of the gameplay itself. And so the students were all completely observing what's going on with this because they know this guy and they know what mm-hmm. happened and, and they still have to use the code of Hammurabi to decide it. And so... You know, it was it was amazing. The student who was doing it is is kind of shy. You know, he's very shy and kind of quiet, and not necessarily, you know, one one of the most um, social kids. But he came out and it was like Perry Mason. I mean, he had this defense. He planned it that night. That night, he plans it just his defense, his argument, and comes in with like you know a game plan for this defense. And it was really amazing to see you know this kid stand up and really defend himself. Oh, that is so cool! That's uh, how did you uh, how did you get into the business? I, a LARP is something that's done for fun mostly, and uh, I was unaware that it was such a fully developed, fully structured thing that one could actually make a business out of it. Yeah, it, it's it's new to to do it like this. And my um, introduction to LARP came honestly like twenty five, thirty years ago when I was a kid and kind of got bored of sitting down playing Dungeons and Dragons and wanted to, you know, get around and move and stuff. So I did it for fun for years and years and years and years. It was just, you know, going to the forest with a foam sword and hit people or, you know, pretend that I was, you know, captain of a starship. Um, But in 2006, uh, I realized that there was many more LARPs going on around the world. And I discovered what was going on in the uh, Nordic countries. So Denmark, Finland, Norway, Sweden where they were much more serious, progressive uh, in, in their uh, role-playing. And most importantly, they were writing about it. In other words, there was essays in English uh, where they're talking about theory and design and stuff like that. And I realized a lot of the stuff was serious. They were doing social 
you know, like social games, you know, social change games and stuff talking about social conditions. And I started thinking like this could probably be used for education. In other words, you know, and then I thought like, well, mock trials and the model UN club and military simulations and, you know, disaster simulations. Those are all LARPs to me. And I think like, hey, we could actually do something like this, you know. Uh, and like I said, kids have uh, had this in school a lot. You know, most uh, uh, most adults remember at least some role playing scenario when they were kids: Oregon Trail or Roman Senate or you know, the Underground Oregon Railroad. Trail or something. When, I was a, when I was a boy, we'd play Oregon Trail in uh, in school. Yeah. I remember the model United Nations. Now, some science fiction, fa- grown-up science fiction fans in San Diego did a whole interstellar uh, model, model United Nations, and they were all different planets, and that got entertaining after a while. It wasn't just Star Trek planets either. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's it's, it's uh, very common to 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 happen, and so I, you know, where I was actually, I was playing one of the Starship games. Uh, a friend of mine's uh, runs a campaign called Starship Valkyrie, and in it, you know, you, you're on a starship, and if the ship gets hit, the console's damaged, and to repair it, you would draw this card on this little, you know, he make a console, you know, an actual physical thing, and you draw this card out of it and say, okay, to repair this, you need four, you know, uh, hypersonic screwdrivers and an engineering skill of ten, and you put this together, and it works again. And I thought. You know, I just kind of had the epiphany that, well, what if I draw this card and to fix this console, I had to do an equation or solve an actual science problem. And you were basically, instead of just assembling materials for fun as a game, you would actually have to do some kind of science or engineering to fix it and start applying your educational materials to this fun game of being on a spaceship. Uh, and so more and more I, you know, kind of delved into it, realized that there's, uh, there's a lot to this and decided to, to move ahead and start Seekers Unlimited. So, you know, we, we started the company, um, a little over two years ago and, you know, applied for nonprofit status and, you know, have been, have been clipping along at a, at a nice pace. That's an amazing story. I mean, I just, I'm fascinated by the, uh, by the progression of it. And obviously, you've had a lifelong uh, love of fantasy and science fiction as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. So what has the reception been for this as you, as you uh, introduce it to various, uh, uh, various schools and venues? Uh, it's, it's been almost overwhelmingly positive. Well, uh, students love it. How, how are the teachers handling it and the parents? The uh, the students love it. Uh, the par- I haven't heard from a lot of parents uh, unless they're they're homeschooling or something like that, and then they say, "Oh, this sounds great. I I, I, lo- I would love to be a part of this." The teachers, uh, if I get the right teacher, are totally one hundred percent for it. They're they're like, "What? I get to be a character and dress up in costume?" And you know, they're they're in. And the interesting thing with the teachers, and I didn't know this, but it came out of the ancient. Mesopotamia educational LARP, one of the teachers said uh, was a benefit to this. He's like, because it's this interactive story, he doesn't know how it ends either. It's not scripted. It's, it's improvisational. And so he says, I get to, as a teacher, kind of perceive the narrative from the same level as the students. 
It's not the teacher kind of just feeding this information to the kids. He doesn't know what the kids are going to do. He doesn't, you know, he's got to react too. So he's got to pay mm-hmm. attention and be on his toes. But at the same time, the story is kind of thrilling to him because he doesn't, you know, he doesn't know how it's going to end. So it's another way to engage the teacher instead of just by rote reciting the same textbook lesson that you've done year after year after year. Here you're actually making a story with your students and you could be, you know, just as engaged and enthused as, as they are. You know, you're actually involved in their learning. You're, you're seeing the story at that same level. So the students are, I'm sorry, the teachers have, have loved it as well because they get to, you know, perform and act, but also kind of, you know, have a story. All of a sudden school is kind of interesting to them instead of just always lecturing and testing and grading and grading and testing and lecturing and back and forth. You actually get to play the story. And they're also making memories for those kids that will last them a lifetime. I mean, what a cool thing to do in school. What an amazing experience. They'll never hear Gilgamesh again just and roll their eyes. They'll, they'll, they'll remember when they were there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> my, uh, my kind of my, you know, my belief and my heart in this is when you have emotional uh, baggage, I kind of call it, attached to intellectual knowledge, it will stick with you more. When you, when you have like an emotional, like, high of a feeling you'll kind of remember the knowledge that that came with that and my example is if you save the starship from plunging into the sun by using the quadratic formula chances are you're going to retain the quadratic formula through all your life because i bet you you're always going to remember that you saved the ship but you know i think <laughs> yeah. you got a better chance of remembering the formula or at least knowing that you use the formula to, to save the ship oh that's awesome what a great so, what a great concept. I'm just the Now how does one go about marketing a LARP? I mean, how do you I mean, this this seems to be something that doesn't exist on paper or, you know, in large part doesn't exist on paper. So how does it how do you how do you manage this as being a product? Yeah. So what what our our kind of business plan is is that we uh are hoping to through grant fundraising uh, be able to to run, design and run and play test uh, uh, a LARP in one of the schools in the Los Angeles area where we are. So so that we get funding when we have funding, and then we can get the props and the artists and costumes and designers and everything. Run it at the school, test it, see how it works with you know living students. Because you know once once the great ideas of, of adults hit the mind of a sixth grader, you know sometimes you have to go back to the drawing board. Well, um, Winston Churchill once said, no battle plan withstands first contact with the enemy. Exactly. I don't consider the students as the enemy, but <laughs> yes, Churchill's, Churchill's quote is apt. Um, so then once it's play, test, play tested, we want to what I call box it. So mm-hmm. we put it in a you know, shrink wrap box uh, that, that's a, like a textbook that teachers around the country can use. And But in this box you know, is, is the guidelines and the direction. So the standards, you know, now it's common core, we're adhering stuff to common core and the other standards that go with it. Um, and feedback on how our playtest went and notes, but I also leave a lot of options for teachers to, uh, hack the game. Essentially, it's not a rigid rule structure. And again, my belief is that, you know, when, when these games come out, I have no idea what a class in Minneapolis, you know, three years from now is like, I, I, I'm not going to be in there. So 
I, I don't think it's, it's up to me to tell a teacher how to run their class three years from now in a city I've never been. Um, so I leave a lot of options in these books for teachers to, you know, if the class is slower, they can slow it down. If they're going fast, they can speed it up. They can, you know, have tangents and divergence and that's just options. So I leave a lot of options in the game that, for example, in a, uh, you know, video game, you can't necessarily do because you have to program all these options. I, I leave it up to the teachers who I think of as game masters in that old D and D model. Mm-hmm. The teachers are the GMs and the the students are the players and we write the modules and obviously it's up to the GM to adjust the game to their players. That's wow. Okay. Well, some stuff is going to stay the same. The quadratic equation is still the equa- the quadratic equation even in Minnesota. Yes, right. even in Minnesota. Yes, even in Minnesota <laughs> it keeps it the same. But uh yeah, so a lot of the material is the same but like when they approach it, the students, you know, get it. Do they have hints? You know, maybe there's an alien race that, that gives them a hint on it if they have problems. So that's up to the teacher. But, yes, they will still have to, to hit the same standards. It's just they're able to kind of customize the when and how uh, uh, that they're adjusting it. So, well, you there's, know, I, there's, I op- leave- there's so much opportunity to create new modules for the system as well. You know, different uh, different space adventures, different civilizations, um, ancient civilizations, uh, you know, 16th century France and, and exciting, different, exciting, plague. You know, exciting places to, to uh, <laughs> oh, exciting plague. That's right. I forgot about that. <laughs> the plague. The plague, um, surviving the plague and how, and how the society dealt with that. There's, there's basically, and, and, you know, I look at live action role playing and LARPing as an art form, which is unusual. A lot of people think of it as, as a hobby or a sport, but for me, it, 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 it makes more sense for me. I was a English literature major, uh, in college. So it just helps for me, helps me to kind of look at this and consider it as an art form. Um, so there's so many options and that as an art form, there's the form of LARPing, but the content is up to anything. You know, if, if LARP is like movies or television, then what the content can be can be science fiction, Western, drama, comedy, historical, you know, romance. It, it could be anything. And, and that applies to education as well. You know, any content is open uh, to doing, you know, uh, adventures that hit basically the, the skills that they need to learn and the, and the, you know, uh, the information that they have to know. Are you, uh, are you currently contemplating a crowdfunding campaign to help you get this stuff off the ground? Uh, we've done uh, a couple uh, uh, crowdfunds already for some of the programs. Mm-hmm. Right now, we've done a couple fundraisers. Uh, we just finished one at um, GamerCon in San Diego uh, last week. We're going to be doing another one. Here in Los Angeles at Strategicon uh, Gateway, it's another game convention. And when is that going to be? That is August. Uh, it's, it's the Friday, last Friday of August, which I think is the 29th or the 30th. So that's that's a, coming up in a couple of weeks. Yeah, it's not far yeah. away. There's a there's a cat on my calendar, so it's, it's, <laughs> I think it's the 30th. Um, but yeah, it's in Los Angeles at the uh, Hilton, part of Strategicon's Gateway. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll pro we'll probably be running the LARP. There, um, I haven't decided which one yet. I'm kind of hoping to do an educational one, but it might be just a fun one. Um, and, uh, you know, there'll be raffle prizes and stuff like that. 
But people can always donate um, on our website, seekersunlimited.org, all one word, seekersunlimited.org. We have, uh, you know, PayPal. You can PayPal donations to us. Um, you know, we welcome volunteers. If you want to get involved, we can definitely have some volunteers helping out with stuff. Um, and we are mainly looking at grant fundraising at, at this stage to, to be applying for uh, foundational grants. Uh, if, so that's if, kind of the next big step. If uh, if an instructor or uh, educator wanted to get more information from you about this, uh, where would they write? Uh, they can, uh, again, it's on the website, but they can always email me, Aaron, A-A-R-O-N, at seekersunlimited.org, Aaron at seekersunlimited.org. Um, or check us. We're on Facebook, Seekers Unlimited. You can check our Facebook site. And we have uh, a couple videos up on YouTube. Uh, if you look, Seekers Unlimited and Educational LARP. We have a YouTube channel and we also have a Twitter channel, although I barely do any tweeting. So, <laughs> so there is a Twitter channel, but there's not much, there's not much on there. Okay. Great. Thank you so much, Aaron, for joining us on episode 68 of the Event Horizon here on Krypton Radio. You have been listening to Aaron Vanek, the executive director of, at Seekers Unlimited, who is also, oh my goodness, I didn't realize this, HP Lovecraft Film Festival Los Angeles organizer. Yes, I do that too. And our Kickstarter has launched and is running now. <laughs> Excellent. So we'll have to. We should have a chat about that a little closer to the date. Sure. Yeah, love well, to. we'd love to have you back. Yeah, that'd be great. Thank you for being on the show, Aaron. Thanks for having me. This was fun. Good night. Night. You have just heard episode 68 of Krypton Radio's weekly production of The Event Horizon for August 2nd, 2014, with our guest Aaron Vanek of Seekers Unlimited, a game company specializing in educational fantasy and science fiction live-action role-playing games. To find out more about the educational classroom games they make, visit SeekersUnlimited.org. Your hosts have been station manager Gene Turnbow and the station's executive producer, Susan Fox. This episode will air again on Sunday, August 3rd, 2014, and Thursday, August 7th at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on each day, as well as Sunday, Thursday, and next Saturday at 5 a.m. Pacific. You will find this episode and others as downloads at the Krypton Radio website and on iTunes and Stitcher as podcasts. The Event Horizon title sequence was written and produced by Gene Turnbow. The science officer was science fiction illustrator Mark Schurmeister. The engineer was Christian B. McGuire. The navigator was Corsair's closet producer Christine Cherry. And the captain was voiced by legendary science fiction writer Larry Nevin. This program and its contents, except where provided by others, are copyright 2014 by Krypton Media Group, Incorporated. The Event Horizon. It's sci-fi for your Wi-Fi. <laughs>